0: Just wanted to also note to you, Alex was um, mentioning the leadership conference. I found out yesterday that my friend um, Volodymyr from the Ukraine is able to make it to the conference, and so very excited about that. Um, Don't think that I've reported to you that uh, we have Ab um, from the Netherlands, Ab and Marsha. Ab will be preaching and uh, was able to ask Ab on, what day are we at? So Friday, uh, asked him to bring Marsha up and explain to the attendees, why does she have red hair? And if you don't know that story, you can go on our website, go back to Ob's sermon from uh, last year. It's just fantastic. And then I also wanted to note to you, we're going to be saying much more about this in the weeks to come, but... Uh, We have been working uh, a lot on our Worldview Weekend conference. We did one last year. It was a huge success, um, but there were also a number of ways and things that we feel like we could improve the conference, and uh, we will be doing Worldview Weekend. The topic this year is the word in our day, and... If you've spent any time here at Trinity at all, you know this is a passion that we have. Um, this conference is most certainly for you, Trinity, but I want us to start preparing our hearts and thinking about how we want it to serve our community, and so how, how can Trinity serve the larger community, um, Brevard County? So, you know, the folks will drive to Orlando or Jacksonville or Tampa, or even they'll drive out of state this year to attend a worthwhile conference. Um, but isn't it odd how we don't have one in Titusville? Like what, what is it about Titusville? That we have got some sort of complex about ourselves that, you know, we have to go everywhere else for something worthwhile and like we just, we just want to fight against that, and we want to create a conference that we believe our community needs. Frankly, we believe that if you live, in, uh, you live in Orlando or Tampa or wherever those different places I name, you should be driving here to come to this conference. We think this is going to be of that kind of quality, and so I just want to put that before you this morning. Again, we'll be saying a whole lot more about that in the weeks to come. That will be in May, and uh, mark your calendars. It's going to be good. So this morning is Family Privileges is the title and most families have privileges of some sort um, and they really range. There's a large range when we speak of family privileges. Some, some families just they value time away together and so they vacation together and that, that can become a family privilege. Some Some families offer the privilege of wealth but get ready for this, right? Some families offer the privilege of not wealth. We've probably all engaged with that family who has very little means, and yet there's a unity and a tightness and a bond and a closeness that that sometimes we're even jealous of. Uh, Some families have the privilege of knowing people So they might be famous people. It might provide you access of interacted with people who, because through a family friend, they get backstage passes or they get tickets to the game and they're like in the box seats or they're this, that, or the next thing. There are family privileges. Sometimes family privileges just come in the... The form or the shape of regular game nights together or holiday traditions or cheering on the son or the daughter at the game or the recital or the performance, the list is long. Family privileges. Some of you are perhaps struggling right now because you're thinking, well, I didn't have any family privileges. While growing up, And even that, I want to encourage you because that's probably shaped you and it's probably helped form and shape your family. As you became dad or you became mom to your children, you determined that your family is going to have some different privileges. And that lack of privilege where you were growing up became the driving point for privileges now. Well, here we are in Galatians. And the big picture, what's been going on in Galatians is that the people of Galatia and the church, the Christians are going back to the law and they're making the law the means of their salvation. And to do so, Paul's been saying, look, if you're going to make the law your means of salvation, then you're you're placing yourself under the curse of the law. Christ came to free us from the curse of the law and Liberty, freedom has been a theme that we've been preaching. And so what they were doing, if we connect those dots by doing that, what they were doing is they were dismissing Christ or they were belittling Christ. To make the law the means of one's salvation is to make Christ less or of little need, The law, Paul's been saying, cannot offer life. It wasn't purposed to offer life. The law, however, its purpose is to reveal sin. In revealing sin, it reveals our need. The law exposes that we are sinners and we can't get the law done. We are in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Rick shared last week that the law is our guardian. It is a custodian. The custodian, the guardian, carries the sinner along to see you need Jesus Christ. And so what the Galatians doing is not it's not like it's kind of a bad thing. Uh, this is a huge thing. And Paul's letting them know, this is a huge thing. What they are doing because they are dismissing the gospel of Christ and they're picking up another gospel as if there is another gospel. So it's grievous error to Paul and it should be to us. What else? The law we've been seeing imprisons you. It is your prison guard, that guardian. And so. When you hear those thoughts no different than the Galatians of their day, we today, we start to think, okay, so what that means is we're to kick the Old Testament law, we're to kick that to the curb. But that's never Paul's point either. Well, let me back up. Yes, it is to kick the law to the curb as your means of salvation, but it's never to kick the law to the curb. It is to kick it to the curb, as in, don't put your faith in your ability to obey the the law. Don't put your, your faith in your ability to do good works, to in some way do these good works to then save you. But it's not to kick the law to the curb, because Paul reminds us that the law is good. The law is good. There was nothing wrong with the law. What was wrong wasn't the law. Rather, it was how these early believers and how we today as believers engage the law or think of the law. When we begin to put our faith in the law and our works in obeying the law, we're dismissing Christ. We're not putting our faith in Christ alone in his works. He obeys the law. He fulfilled the law in every way. Put your faith and trust in him, not in yourself. Because, right, if we're honest, we've, we've come to that place, I hope, where we realize, I can't get this law done. I'm a lawbreaker. I fail at obeying the law daily, regularly, every, well, however many few minutes go by. We are lawbreakers. And so the hope and the faith and the trust isn't in self. The hope and the faith and the trust isn't looking inward. It's to look outward. It's to look at Christ and what Christ has accomplished for us. This is the message of Galatians. This is where we have been. So rather than the law bringing them, bringing us to a place of need, they were were seeing it as something they could actually do and accomplish that their obedience would commend them to God, that their obedience would, would then cause God to give them greater favor and blessing. And I hope you see how those thoughts belittle Christ, belittle Christ. Christ is less needed. It, shift us, it shifts us from being needy and dependent to I've got this. I can do this and I'm independent. It turns us from crying out to God for mercy to crying, look at me and look at what I'm accomplishing. Now, we would never say that, but that's what's going on in our hearts. It turns worship away from God who accomplished our salvation and places worship on us because we think we're getting something done. Forgiveness? Sure, we probably even need some of that. Righteousness of Christ, a welcomed addition to my righteousness. God's faithfulness to his promises, if you say so, I welcome that also. So think about this. Think about it from the Old Testament perspective. Israel is now wandering in the wilderness. And what are they saying? What are they saying to Moses? After God has delivered them, miraculously delivered them, promise them a promised land, right where he will take care for them and bless them. what are they saying? They're saying take me back to Egypt, right? Like we like our slavery back there. Three square meals a day. And spiritually speaking, Galatians is saying the same thing. And when we buy into, My works is what's going to commend me before God. We're saying the same thing. Take me back to Egypt. You know, I've seen the miracles. They're really amazing. It's incredible how you got us here. But we'd like to go back. Spiritually speaking, that's exactly what's happening here and in our hearts as well. And so what Paul's doing in chapter 3 and going into chapter 4 is he's belaboring the point. Let me read to you again just read the end of chapter 3 verse 29 because the chapter breaks really unfortunate and if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise no chapter break <laughs> it's just heirs according to promise I mean that the heir as long as he is a child is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything well wrestled a lot this week on how to proceed in our series this morning and just praying and what should we do and the plan is to preach into chapter four and just the more just kind of wrestling with it just feel the need to go backwards a bit not because wow during chapter three Alex uh Steve myself Rick are the four guys who preached in chapter three. And um, we are blessed. Thank you, guys. Thank you, each of you guys, and Josiah, you as well. And just love it. Um, But here's the challenge. If there's a challenge to expository preaching or working through a book methodically, preaching through different books of the Bible, Um, the challenge is this, is we can, we can take small sections and when you're doing that, you're really getting into the details and we love that. But at the same time, what ends up happening is it's easy to lose the big picture. What's going on here? We get a little lost in the woods. So I want to help us. Um, and then you had the holidays and we had a week off and all of that. So in some ways I'm going backwards, not sure how far we're going to progress this morning, but that's what we're doing. Here's, here's a big idea. What's going on here? Paul's laying out the privileges of family, the family of God, to help them and us see the insanity of adding to the gospel. That's, that's what he's doing. He's saying, Look, guys, you're, you're absolutely crazy. His, his words, start of chapter three, is what? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? My translation, you guys are insane. What are you thinking you want to go back to Egypt? You want to go back to being under the curse of the law when Christ has offered you freedom? You want to place your faith in yourself, in your works, rather than the, the faith in Christ and what he's accomplished for you? This is insanity. Paul is laying out the privilege of family to help them and us see the insanity of adding to the gospel. The unmentioned implication of these privileges are treasuring Christ, grow in Christ and proclaim Christ. That's how I hope to close our sermon this morning. As we open up 2019 in this first sermon, I want to bring application to why Trinity exists. All right, so let's dive in. Point one: the righteousness of Christ through faith in Christ. It goes back, chapter three, verse 10 through 13. All right, so I know um, we didn't read that this morning, but turn back. We're in verse 10, chapter 3. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That's insanity. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things, written in the book of the law and do them, all right? So if you're here this morning and you have abided by the law perfectly, you are not cursed for the rest of us. If we're seeking to abide by the law, we need to do so in perfection. And when you fail at any one point, James, we'll go to James in our next series, is going to make the same point, that if you seek to fulfill the law, all of it, you are placing yourself under the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? The wages of sin is death. What you earn for placing yourself under the curse of the law is you earn the law's curse. You die. You die. In your sins. The beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is not to look at ourselves in some way, be impressed, be moved, be worshiped of ourself or our ability to do the law. It's to look at the law and say, I can't get it done. I'm under the curse of the law. But praise be to God, Christ came and he did the law. He fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish the law. He didn't kick the law to the curb. He answered it perfectly in every way. And now the liberty comes in, right? Breaking out of that captivity, that prison that the law guards us is not faith in ourselves. it's faith in Christ. We no longer have to be under the curse of the law. We can be free in Jesus Christ because Christ fulfilled the law for us. He did what we couldn't do. And so praise be to God, we don't have to live in the insanity. And we don't have to be among, we don't have to be the new covenant version of the Israelites. Take me back to Egypt, take me back to my slavery, which is what they're doing. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Why? Because we're lawbreakers. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us. It means he purchased us. He paid the redemption price for we were slaves to sin. Christ came and he redeemed us by his blood. He paid the price for the freedom from our slavery. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged by, the tr- by a tree. Church, Paul is unpacking this beautiful, wonderful gospel and he's confronting these Galatians and he's confronting our hearts this morning. See the insanity of putting your faith in your righteousness It's putting you back under that curse. It belittles Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. Place your faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now you might be here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You've never heard these thoughts or these concepts, these ideas before. Listen, we just want to encourage you, continue to come and dig into God's word. And, and, and our prayer would be that you would come to this place of freedom, too. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're, you're seeking to, God bless you, you're seeking to be a good person. You want to do good things for people because, because isn't that what Christianity is about? Answer, no. No. Who told you that? The Bible didn't tell you that. Christianity is about people who are not good people being saved, not because they have righteousness, not because they're doing good things, but because Christ has righteousness. And when we place our faith in Christ, he gives us his righteousness. This is what it is to be justified. It's to be declared righteous so that if we were to die at this moment, those who have placed their faith in Christ would stand before God declared righteous. Say, whoa, wait. Does he know my life? Answer, yes. He knows your life through the life of his son. What his son has accomplished for you. The righteousness of Christ through faith in Christ. Number two helping us get out of the woods a little bit. In chapter three, Paul has been introducing to us the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. And he has been dropping spirit ideas, peppering it through chapter three, verse five of three. Does he who supplies the Spirit... To you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. He's talking about the Spirit. You can, well, later on, just read through chapter 3 and just pull out a highlighter and just note when he starts talking about the Spirit because he's moving, his argument is moving somewhere. So read uh, verse 14, chapter 3. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that, we might receive the promised spirit through faith. His argument about the spirit is going to be building and we're going to be hearing more about that in chapter four and chapter five. We talk about the fruits of the spirit, right? I think Josiah and I were talking about this early on in this series where we're saying, you know, the fruits of the spirit, right? Like it's a a magnet for, for some of us. I put the, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, let's just throw the magnet up on the refrigerator. Look, that comes in a context is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't just drop out of the sky. Oh, fruits of the spirit. Let's, let's try to include these on the refrigerator. No, the, he's been preaching the gospel and he wants you to know that you have the family privilege of adoption because you have the spirit. And there are fruits of having that spirit living in you. That's where we're headed. The spirit. Now, I'm going to say more about the spirit next week. But when you, when you think about family privilege, you have the spirit. Family privilege. Now, it's amazing. Uh, I'm so tempted to preach next week's sermon. So. Stop it! Self-control, Self-control that's the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> uh, Christ came to live with us. The Spirit comes to live in us. Like all that we just celebrated in the Christmas season, God with us, we can think back to God coming in human flesh to live among us. But when he ascended, what does he tell his disciples? It's good for me to go. And if you're a disciple on that day, and if I'm a disciple on that day, I'm going, no, it's not. Right? Like, stay. Don't leave us. No, you guys don't get it, is what he's telling his disciples. It's good for me to go because in going, he sends us his spirit. So not, not that we have God's presence living among us. Family privilege. We have God's presence living in us. Not that we have God's presence living among us. We have God's presence living in us. <sighs> Try and It's amazing. I know we're so familiar. We're overly familiar. We become so familiar. Mind-blowing news this morning. Pretend like it's the first time you ever hear it. You have the Spirit of God living in you. you Jeff you you have the spirit not Jeff right yeah thanks Will (laughs) (laughs) right like like we should all be thinking like that like me this must be a mistake (laughs) right like I don't deserve that box seat how did I get the box seat oh because you knew someone Nobody, right? Like, we're not special. Like, we're not famous people. We don't don't run in, like, super wealthy circles, right? Like, who are we to have the Spirit of God living in us? What a privilege, a family privilege. And Paul's just unpacking these. And we're, we're, we're appropriately, as we're preaching through chapter three, we're, we're digging into different pieces. But I think we're missing this big, awesome moment. And for that reason, I'm digging us backwards and I'm slowing us down and I'm kicking our series a little bit longer. Because I want you to be just mowed over by the glory of what Paul's saying here in chapter three. The chapter three and into chapter four really is the heart of Galatians. Actually, let's say uh, chapter three and chapter four is the heart of the entire Bible. Like this is this is the heartbeat of God's word. So we'll say more about the spirit next week. Let's just jump to number three, sonship. Sonship, you you are a son of God. And the lady said, did he just say I'm a son? of I did. And I'm going to get to why I said you're a son of God. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You're not sons of God through your works. You're not sons of God because you're good. You're not sons of God for any other reason than Christ alone. Christ alone is why you're a son of God. This is who you are. So we're talking identity things here. And we've been doing that through this series. We've been trying to say your identity, it's Christ. And and here it is again. When you say son of God, you're, you're talking about identity. You have this new identity. You weren't always a son of God. Only until you came to a place where you put your faith in Jesus Christ did you become a son of God. And now, it's why we say we are Christian. That's another word, right? That just gets tossed out there and means little. Look, look think about this. You are Christian, meaning your identity is Christ. Now, here's a, here's a genius moment. Ready? You can write it down. Your identity identifies you. You got that? Your identity identifies you listen, it's not what you're aiming towards. It's not what you hope you will become one day. It's not a goal that you have as a Christian to someday, I hope I will someday be a son of God. No, it's who you are. Right now, you're a son of God. This is family privilege. But we need to be extremely clear, we're not all sons of God. We are made sons of God, Paul is telling us, by placing our faith in Jesus. Placing our faith, trusting in him that what he did in his life, death, and resurrection is my salvation. I believe in Jesus. So, that's not all of us this morning. And we are praying for you. We want it to be all of us this morning. Now, ladies, perhaps you are offended that I'm telling you you are a son of God. Don't throw tomatoes, at least not yet. Because here's the thing I think what we're going to do in the next few moments is we're going to go down into the mines, the diamond mines. And we're going to find a diamond in this wall of rock, and we're going to just start picking it out. We're going to mine the diamond of this word, sons of God. And you're going to see that it is a family privilege to be called a son of God. The NIV, some of your translations might translate it children of God. I think it's a wrong translation. I think it's the NIV trying to be a little bit more politically correct. We are sons of God. So, I think the ESV gets it right when it says we are sons. And I think the ESV is not caving to the politically correct culture that we live in. And even not only does it not say children of God, it doesn't say daughters of God. You ladies should be growing in your uh, anger towards me. Stick with me. Here's the deal. Children of God and even daughters of God misses a gospel punch. In the ancient culture that Paul is writing, the inheritance of family property... You probably all know this. It went to the Son. In the culture of this day, uh, women, so, sorry ladies, this is, this is not right. The Bible is not endorsing this, but women were not treated equally. Daughters did not inherit. That's why it's amazing when Luke records his gospel. One of the beautiful things about Luke's gospel, if you read through it, how it's different. Everybody says the four gospels, they're all the same. No, they're not. Luke's gospel has Jesus seemingly endlessly engaging with women. Luke's gospel is about the gospel comes to the unclean. And so you're going to have more episodes of Jesus with the Samaritans or Jesus engaging with the lepers or Jesus engaging with the women because in that culture, they were not equal. So it's beautiful gospel and it packs a different punch. And so daughters were not to inherit. Sons were the legal heir of the inheritance. And now Paul is saying, look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Good. There's neither slave nor free. Okay. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What what is Paul saying when he says you are a son of God and now he's saying what he says here in verse 28? What he's saying is that we're all sons. And this is a very radical moment in the letter. It's radical for them to think, Wait, we're no longer Jew and Gentile? I grew up, not me, but the Jew of the day is is saying, I grew up, Gentiles are unclean. I grew up, we're not supposed to go over to their house. To engage with them would make us unclean. We got to keep our separation. Paul, what are you saying? I'm saying that in Christ, that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down like he said to the Ephesians we'll read that later but not only that like the class distinctions have been broken down say more about that in a moment but not only that the male female distinctions have been broken down not to say that there still isn't a Jew person or a Gentile person there are or that there are slaves and free there are or that there's male and female there are it's that we are now one in Christ and this is the big radical moment of the letter where any believer at the time should be going wow this gospel is radical yes it is so we're all sons and he brings us to this radical moment in the letter and he's saying we're on equal ground as sinners saved by Christ before the cross of Christ we are equal not only at creation equal as male and female image bears the ability to reflect the glory of God back to him we are we are equal as image bears but now what Paul's saying here in the new covenant is we are equal at the foot of the cross We are equal. Yes. Equal sinners saved by Christ. We are equal. Ready, ladies? As heirs of God. The politically correct culture tells us bag the son's thing. Don't say that, Tim. Like uh, the ladies will get upset. But I want to argue that we ought to protect it. Ladies be okay with it. And guys, by the way, did you notice we sang? You're the bride of Christ. It's okay. <laughs> Beautiful bride you are. It's okay. We don't need to, like, do the silly political correct thing. Like, enjoy the gospel for what it is. Mind the depths of the truth that you're the bride of Christ. That he would wed with you. That he would, that he would make you his bride. Like... Rather than trying to correct that, polish it up, make sure everybody feels comfortable about it, glory in it. You're the bride of Christ. You're a son of God. Because if you dismiss Paul's use of son to protect the politically correct culture that we live in, you dismiss this radical revolutionary claim of the gospel. Here it is. Ladies, you're not minimized in the gospel. You're a son of God. You are an heir of God. Every bit as legitimate as this culture said, you are not legitimate, legally speaking. The gospel comes in and says, oh, you're every bit of a son. You're a son of God. And for all of us this morning, let that sink in. Family privilege, you're an heir of Christ. Righteousness of Christ you have the Spirit living in you. You are an heir of Christ because of Christ. And because this is who we are, we further identify ourselves with Christ through one of the isms that Rick preached last week baptism. I don't want to go back to that because that was just a great moment last week where I was just enjoying the isms, in particular, the baptism. Because baptism is your identity. It's how we identify ourselves publicly with Christ. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We we could say that baptism is the clothing that we put on. It's what we wear. It's our identity. Now, you get that, right? Like we. Well, you can just look to your right and left a little bit. Look at some shoes. Look at some clothing. Look at some identifiers. Right. Like we put on clothing and it identifies us. Randy, what does your shirt say? I saw it earlier. How about them Cowboys? All right, so if you watched the game last night, Randy is identifying himself with Cowboys, right? I've got a number of Cub shirts, Dolphin shirts. I've got an Ajax shirt. Ajax is the professional soccer team in the Netherlands. And so when I went to a game, I bought a shirt, right? Came back, I'm in Starbucks. There's a guy, one of the baristas, and he says to me, Ajax? I'm like, heck yeah, this guy. Right? It was an identifier. You're like, I actually went to a game. Like nobody else in this city knows, except for Dennis, knows that there's such a team. It's an identifier, right? We put things on. They identify us, something about us. I learned recently when my wife came home from shopping for Christmas gifts, we bought Maddie a Kate Spade. What did we do? I, it's a Kate Spade. More, <laughs> I don't know what a Kate Spade is. Well, it's an identifier, <laughs> right? And so we have Nike and Adidas, and we just go on and on and on, right? Okay, so Paul, what does he say here? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ when you were baptized, you clothed yourself. I'm, a, I'm in Christ. This is my identifier. In front of all these people, these brothers and sisters in the Lord, I'm identifying I'm with Christ. I've put my faith in Christ. Now, folks come to baptism. And they go, well, if it's not for salvation, then why should we do it? Well, for one, because the Bible tells us we should. But More than just a duty, realize the glory of the moment I'm identifying myself before all these believers. I'm with Christ. He's mine. I belong to Him. It's my identity. It's more than my Kate Spade. It's more than my Ajax or my cowboy, right? I am Christian and I'm identifying myself with my Savior. It's the clothing we wear is baptism. Or we could say it's the sign of the covenant, the new covenant, right? So if we walk through the different covenants of the Old Testament, what? Noah, sign of the covenant, rainbow. Abraham, sign of the covenant, circumcision. That's part of the argument here in Galatians. Why are not you guys, why are you giving up on circumcision and dietary laws? The sign of the covenant was circumcision. In Christ, the sign of the covenant is baptism. And so when we disregard baptism and think, "Ah, that's not that big of a deal, I don't know if I really want to do that, oh, you're missing on this glorious moment of what Paul's communicating here. It's an outward sign of inward faith. I trust in Jesus Christ. Let's be baptized. And so we're clothing ourselves. We are dressing ourselves in Jesus Christ. Now you can also, one more way to think about it. In the garden, what? Before sin, they were naked and unashamed. Upon sin, what'd they do? They grabbed the fig leaves. And it's as if the way I read those, well, chapter three, they're hiding fig leaves. God's saying, your attempt to cover your shame is insufficient. And what does he do? He provides them with skins. Where do you get skins? You get skins from an animal. For the first time in God's word, we see the innocent blood was spilled to cover the shame of the guilty. To me, it's a shadow to what's to come in Christ Jesus. And so you've got that. Now here in the New Testament, in this New Testament sign of the covenant, we baptize, it's a good song, (laughs) <laughs> it's um, oh you're so fine Gail you're fine we've all done it <laughs> so I think like everybody else is going oh thank God it's not me <laughs> because we've all done it so here Jesus in baptism what he's covering our shame In baptism, our clothing goes with us. That's why you're clothed this morning, right? Because we, clothe, we cover our shame. Well, Jesus covers our shame. And he does so constantly. Okay. Number four, privilege. Cultural, class, and gender unity. Already referenced so much of that. In verse twenty-eight, but I just want you to see and recognize this is how radical the gospel is. He's not saying there are no longer Jews and Gentiles. And Rick was right last week to say that the L G B T—did I get it right? L M N O P Q R S T. That that this scripture is ripped out of its context to say, okay, see, look, there's no more male and female. The Bible says so. Well, that's not what Paul's trying to say. Just like he's not trying to say there's no longer a Jew or a Gentile. Oh, there are. And that's what we said a few months back, uh, just the idea of I don't see color. Yeah, you do. Like, I think there's something glorious about seeing color. Now, I get the sentiment. But the reality is racism doesn't die. By my, I don't see it, racism dies at the cross where we recognize, oh, there are Jews and there are Gentiles and there are blacks and there are whites and yellows and reds, but glory be to God because of the cross of Christ, that's no more in that sense of divisive. It's no more, it's, it's gone, it's done. I see your color, you see mine, and we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are we are under the family privilege together. And I don't earn more than you because he also says slave and free. I don't get more privileges of the family. We all get all the privileges of the family. And so he says, I just want to read it at length to you. Stick with me. Chapter two, Ephesians. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who you were. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable family privileges, riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you're probably pretty familiar with verses 1 through 10. Most are a little less familiar with 11 to the end, 22. Therefore... Didn't just drop out of the sky. He's making a point. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, you didn't have the sign of the covenant, by what is called the circumcision by the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access. That's Galatians 3, 28. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Culturally, Racially, there's no longer Jew and Gentile. That's radical. Class, there's no longer slave free. Gender, there's no longer male, female. Meaning we're no longer defined by our race. Our identity is not our class. Our identity is not simply a gender. It still exists. It's there. We're not going to do away with it. But it's not your biggest, greatest identifier. Your greatest identifier is that you belong to Christ. And people say, so everybody wants to chime in. How are we going to fix racism? And usually our world just kind of comes up with this big, nice bow of love. We just need to love each other more. And love would be great. That's a great thought. Here's how you defeat racism. It's through the blood of Christ. Coming to a place of recognizing. Slave, free. Rich, poor. Black, white. Jew, Gentile. We both have been saved by Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ. Some say that's just too simple. They're right. It is profoundly simple. In Christ, our identity is now Christ. Our identity identifies us. We've become a new race, a new people, a people belonging to God, 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The worship team would join me. And so very quickly, our application this morning is to treasure Christ and grow in Christ and proclaim Christ in 2019 to treasure Christ. It's to it's to say we want to be a people. Oh, this would be our prayer. Trinity, we exist to treasure Christ. What does that mean? It means worship him. It means get a hold of these family privileges and fall before the Lord and worship Him. It means put aside religion and religious, dutiful worship and, and, and put on the glories of, of Christ and what He's accomplished on your behalf and worship Him. Treasure Christ, grow in Christ. Meaning, we want to we wanna, we wanna grow. We're not, we're not talking numbers wise, we want to we grow in our hearts, we want to we grow in Christ. Meaning sanctification, meaning, meaning here's my prayer this morning. There would be some here this morning and you're just wrestling, you're wrestling with anger. Why am I so angry? That 2019 would be a year where you get a hold of the family privilege of being an heir of Christ. And by God's grace and his mercy and the spirit living in you, anger is not, does not have the hold that it once held right? Pornography doesn't have the hold that it once held. You name it, you fill in the blank, whatever the, the vice, the thing might be. We want to grow in Christ in 2019. I have no interest. I assume you don't either. I have no desire to just do 52 Sundays just for the sake of doing 52, because we're a church. That's what you do. Ah. Oh that we might get a hold of our identity as Christ and say, God, I worship you. God, help me to grow. And number three, proclaim. It's our desire to make, proclaim just the, it's not the emphasis aside from the other two because you can't categorize these. They're not categorical but at the same time I just want to say proclaim more times this year and I want us just in our hearts saying God would you help me I want to proclaim you out of a heart of worship out of a growing believer in Jesus Christ help me to proclaim you more in 2019 it says on the slide it says begins January 27 because I just grabbed that slide that just you'll be seeing more of that because our mission emphasis this year is proclaim And our mission series starts on the 27th. And I can say more about that, but won't. All right, let's stand together.